ಓಂ ಜ್ಞಾನಚಿರಂಧ್ಯಾನಂಜನ ಶ್ಲಾಕಯ Well, happy, both the happiness and the, the distress in the material world are distress. The distress is distress, birth, old age, disease, suffering, adhyatmik, adhibhotik, adhidaivik, doom. These, these are different categories of distress which are analyzed in Shastra. Birth, death, old age and disease, these are all suffering. Then thirst, hunger, frustration, disappointment, these are all forms of suffering. Adhyatmik dukh, that distress or adhyatmik klesh, uh, that distress that we experience from our bodies and minds, adhipotik klesh, that, that distress which uh, we get from others, just like mosquitoes biting, dogs barking when we're trying to go to sleep at night. You don't get that so much in America. In India, it's very common. Stray dogs running around the streets, barking. Uh, people giving us a hard time in various ways. Other people and other living beings give us distress. Then, Adi Daivik Klish, natural disturbances such as hurricanes, too cold, too hot, and so on. So that's all distress, but the happiness in this material world is also distress. No one's actually happy. It's all on the background of the suffering of not being connected with Krishna. Our, our inner feelings are one of distress, even the so-called happiness. It, it doesn't actually satisfy us. Now, in the spiritual world, there is happiness and apparent distress also. The distress of the Rajvasis, the residents of Vrindavan, when Krishna goes away, that is extreme distress. But that is also transcendental bliss. So, both the happiness and distress of the spiritual world is bliss, because even the bliss of being separated from Krishna, you know, even though it appears like distress, it's actually more bliss, because remembrance of Krishna is always blissful, although it, it appears to be experienced as distress, whereas in the material world, the happiness and distress is all distress. So better go to the spiritual world. 
Is that alright? Anything else? Yeah, please. Uh, just a question. Uh, in the Vedas, they write about uh, Antakaran, which is... Uh, in the what? In the Vedas? Antakaran. Which is Manbuddhi Chitana. Yeah, it's the... What? It's the... Uh, int- yeah, the internal senses. They say that is a thing that moves with you when you go from one body to the other. Yeah, body. as long as we're in the, within this material existence. Yeah. I just want if you could speak a little more about the antaikara and what really moves and how does it move. And what That's Srila Prabhupada has called this the, in English. He calls this the subtle body. When we give up a gross body, then um, according to our desire. We travel in the subtle body, to, and we, our, our travel is directed. According to our previous activities, according to our karma, under the supervision of the demigods, the Supreme Lord and the demigods, we get another body. So that the consciousness that we develop in, in human life According to the consciousness, we get another body. So if our, this man, buddhi, and ahamka, the, the underlying principle of it all is ahamka, aham, I. So the mayavadis, they say, well, we have to get rid of the sense of I-ness and stop thinking in terms of I. But that's not possible because we, as Lord Krishna states in Bhagavad Gita, we are eternal living beings. We're eternal living beings. So we're always I. We always have the sense of I. But instead, there's the sense of I am. Ishvaraham uh, Bhogi. I am the enjoyer of this world and I am the controller. But the real understanding is Aham Krishna Das. That is... So when we get rid of the ahankaram of thinking I am the enjoyer of this material world and understand I am the servant of Krishna then the buddhi and man the intelligence and the mind they also become directed toward Krishna but as long as we think of ourselves as enjoyers of the material world uh, we get different kinds of bodies according to the uh, particular mm, kind of desires that we've been cultivating. And sometimes you see that, that uh, someone who owns a dog, their, they, their facial features actually start to look like their dogs. Because they're attached to their dog or horse. That's, you can see someone has a horse and they look like their horse. They're, because their consciousness is in, absorbed in the animal, they're so much attached to the animal, they're actually preparing themselves to take that kind of body. Did you ever, this uh, Colonel Sanders, did it ever strike you that his face, he looks just like a chicken? <laughs> How many times has Colonel Sanders become someone's chicken soup? Well, not, it's fried, isn't it? Not soup. It's, uh, he's, he himself is helping the business to run on in his... So this uh, Utkramantan Sitangva Pi Punjanam Vagunan Vitam 
in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna states that uh, how we travel from body to body on the Manorat. What is that other verse that comes after that? Shotram Chakshu Sparsham Chavrasanam Granam Evacha Adhishtanam Manas Chaiva. Adhishtanam Manas Chaiva. Vishayanupasevate. One gets uh, Shrotram. One gets a certain kind of hearing sense. Chakshu. Certain kind of eyes. Shrotram Chakshu Sparsham Sense of touch. Rasa. Sense of taste, granum, sense of smell. One gets different bodies with different abilities to hear, touch, smell, taste, smell, and feel, centered on the mind. So it is quite a complex science. The Vedic science of psychology is quite developed. Recently one of our godbrothers, he published a book, Vedanta Psychology. If you like, you can get that book. You can order it. I'm sure it's available on the web. Sahotra Maharaj. The book was published and just after that he passed away. (laughs) Yes, please. Mostly. Those who, uh, they're already in hell actually. They're very active. Meat eating itself is hellish. Mostly. There, there is a Vedic pious method of eating meat also. But even those meat eaters, if they indulge one slight bit over the prescribed method given in Vedic literature, then they also have to suffer. Because it's it's tit for tat. It's they're causing unnecessarily causing suffering. So they have to suffer. Fortunately, the Christian concept of hell that you burn in hell forever, that's not there. You have to suffer and then you get another chance. But certainly it, it's unnecessarily inflicting suffering on living beings. Because meat is not required for the sustenance of the human body. So to indulge in that is irreligious. Jesus wasn't a meat eater. They they, they have misrepresented him as a meat eater. The Bible has been twisted because people wanted to eat meat. I mean, I'm not just saying this, but there is good scholarly evidence that Jesus, he was born in a family of the Essene sect, which was vegetarian and believed in reincarnation. And the, the language in the Bible was also twisted. Or, um, just like in, uh, in many Indian languages, the word for food is the same word as rice. Because people, they eat meals with rice. And rice is the staple food. So, in, in just like in Bengali, if you ask someone, have you had your meal? They'll say, have you eaten rice? And that means, have you eaten rice, dal, and everything else that goes with it? So, in the Jesus spoke in Aramaic. And the, the Bible was written in first in Greek, then Latin, and then it came to the modern languages. So, it said, just like for instance, it said that Jesus was asking his apostles, 
have you eaten meat? But he didn't speak in Greek, in the language in which the epistles are wrote. And in Greek, that the, the word for food was meat, because their staple food is meat. So in this way, it became perverted. He may have distributed fish, that story is given, the distribution of the fish and the loaves in the desert. He may have done because there's nothing else. If there's nothing else, you can take meat for preservation. But to eat for, for the pleasure of the tongue is sinful. And it brings a reaction. We don't like to think of that. We like to think that uh, hamburgers come from flowers in the fields. But actually they come from ghastly slaughterhouses. So, there's a reaction. Yeah, please. If you have not been a lifelong vegetarian, mm. that many of those Westerners become a Christian Yeah. And how did the past karma destroy from being a meat How is the past karma destroyed from being a meat eater? Well, it's pretty, it's pretty tough unless you take to Krishna consciousness. But by chanting the names of Krishna, a Krishna nam kore sarva papa koi, by chanting the name of Krishna once, one can get free from all sinful reactions. Savadhaman parittaja, mamekam sharanam braja, ahang tong sarva papebhyo, moksha yishami mashucha. Lord Krishna says, don't worry. If you surrender to me exclusively, I will deliver you from all sinful reactions. Otherwise, pretty tough. There are methods of atonement for sins given in the Vedic literature. But <coughs> But uh, we wouldn't have enough time in our lives to go through all of those. For, for the, the average person, what they do in their life in one day, they wouldn't have, if they spend the rest of their life by the Vedic method trying to atone for it, they couldn't do it. So better chant Hare Krishna. It is shocking, isn't it, to think that how much sinful reactions are coming. But... It's, it's not unreasonable to accept that, that by, by torturing animals and, and, and slaughtering them, that there should be a reaction by, from nature. That people are so upset with the, the terrorism, they killed so many people in the Twin Towers, but every day many more animals are slaughtered, they're, they're there's terrorism. America is a terrorist nation. They're torturing animals and killing them, inflicting so much suffering. The young bull calves are taken away from their mothers, fattened a little bit inside of the cage, and then slaughtered for veal. That's terrorism, isn't it? Yeah. Just a little while ago, you mentioned about nothing is available that you can eat meat. Yeah. As the progress of Kali Yuga goes on, there won't be any much food now here. That's written in Bhagavatam, am I correct? Uh, is that going to be legal to eat meat for the people down the road? Well, if you if there's absolute if there's nothing else to eat, it is one may take meat for preservation of the body if the body is. If one's life is meant for 
tattva jignyasa. For one who is fully engaged in Krishna consciousness, he can do no sin, actually. Even if he were to eat meat. Although he wouldn't. There is a story in the Mahabharata of one Rishi, I can't remember who it was, who in the time of a drought, he had his disciples kill cows. And that was not considered sinful. They ate beef. Now, that might be an interpolation. Madhvacharya says there are various interpolations. But the point is that um, one of Prabhupada's disciples, Hari Krishna Maharaj, Prabhupada told him to go preach in Russia. At that time it was communist. And he made so many objections. that You can't go there, you can't get a visa, they'll arrest you. And then he said, and then he said well, there's nothing there to eat meat. Nothing there to eat except meat. And Prabhupada told him, then eat meat, but go and preach. And actually, I went to Russia first in the communist time, and there were there isn't there was I mean there wasn't only meat, but there wasn't much else. There was the only most uh, potato was the uh, vegetable available. A few cabbages here and there. We saw one one cauliflower which is already rotten, looking in a shop which was closed. There wasn't there was you can get rice hard. Nasty Vietnamese rice. It wasn't much. What was it like in Serbia? Were you, you were there in the communist time as a kid, right? Is it similar? I can't see why it should be, actually. Because, because uh, you know, you can grow all kinds of things in Russia. They're wonderful soil, except that it's frozen for about seven months of the year. But during the growing season, it was just bad management. So anyway, Prabhupada told him, eat meat. If that's if for serving Krishna, you can do anything. But for sense gratification, even if you're a pure vegetarian, that's also sinful. It's not as sinful as eating meat. But anything which is done for sense gratification is sinful. There are levels of sin. Yeah, please. There is what? Sorry, Gokul. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, there's more. There's there's Swargalok. Then above that, there's the planets of the Rishis: Mahaloka, Janaloka, Tapaloka, Satyaloka. Beyond that's the covering of the universes. Beyond that is Vaikuntha. Then at the top, Tadupuri, Golok, Vrindavan. Yeah. Uh, once a person. Is there a first question? Is, is there a certain amount of people who can go there, or everyone can go to Golok? Everyone once, can go. And once you're there, do you stay there, or you? Yeah, once you go, you stay there. You can't do any sin once you go there. Well, in the spiritual world, there's no sin, but if there's any desire, sin. The the basic definition of sin is the desire to enjoy separately from Krishna, and all other sins are expansions of that. So that's why even being a vegetarian, uh, if one is not dedicated to Krishna, then that's sinful. Although it's not as sinful as the uh, the gross exploitation and envious that comes by killing animals. Vegetarians, they may also kill, but the consciousness of plants is not as... Uh, they don't feel so much suffering, so there's not so much pain. Or you can also be a vegetarian by not killing, because taking fruit from trees doesn't kill them. Taking milk from animals 
doesn't kill them. Taking grains, grains are harvested after the plant has already died. So, okay, and, and many vegetables also. You, um, no, not many, but you can cut and they go on living. So, uh, yeah, there's no sin in the spiritual world, but the, the, the sin, the root of all sin is the desire to enjoy separately from Krishna, to not want to serve Krishna. So then Krishna facilitates that desire by giving us the material world. Well, the Vaikuntha world, yeah. That's the eternal spiritual world. And the material world, yeah. The material world is we're moving around from planet to planet to planet, from body to body to body. And suffering in each body. So better stop suffering and go to Krishna. Hmm. Yeah, please. Is the sinful reaction removed? This process of atonement, it's there in the Vedic culture also. It's given, and there's, you have that in the Catholic faith, confession, and it's not only in Catholic, in other Christian faiths also. Now, this is discussed in Srimad Bhagavatam about getting free from sins. At the end of the fifth canto, there's a description of hellish punishments. And at the beginning of the sixth canto, the, the, the question is asked by Parikshit Maharaj, who is hearing from Shukadev Krasan, how can we get, how can people become free from sinful reactions? It sounds horrible. So the first proposal given by Shukadev Goswami is that by performing atonement. But Parikshit Maharaj says that actually this atonement is useless because you superficially you get free from the reactions to sins by performing some ritual or some austerities. But it does nothing to remove the desire for performing sinful activities. So you just go on doing sinful activities. So this, just like in the... In the Catholic faith also, like you're saying, there's confession. And you're supposed to go, I remember as a kid, you have to go every week to say your sins. But then, if you're confessing, then what's the point of saying every week, I lied, I stole, I, I hit my kid's sister on the head, and, and all this kind of thing. But what, why go every week? If you're actually sorry, if you're confessing, then you should stop sinning. But God will forgive us if we're sincere. But if we go on, we think, okay, now I, I got rid of my sins, now I'm ready for another week of sins. Hope I don't die in midweek. <laughs> That's why the priest comes to the time to take a last confession with the idea that just by telling the priest, you become free. But actually, it doesn't work. God's not so cheap that you can cheat him. That just by doing some ritual of confessing your sins that you become free from it. That's, a, that's an invention of the church. It's not what Jesus taught. So, 
we have to stop sinning. If we are actually sincere, we have to stop sinning. But because we don't have knowledge of God and the, the, the pleasure of serving Him, therefore we take pleasure in lower things and we can't stop sinning. So a, a real religious process doesn't invent a process, it doesn't invent a method to uh, supposedly get rid of our sins, but a real religious process teaches us to rise above the platform of sinning. Yeah, circumambulating Tulsi Devi gets us free from sin, but that's we do as a sign of respect to Tulsi. We, we're not thinking that now I'm going to go and do a bunch of sins. And actually in, in the Vaishnava literature that's also stated that yes, we get free from all sins by chanting Hare Krishna. We get free from sins by circumambulating Tulsi. But if we think that I will, now I've discovered a good method by which I can sin and then later on I'll chant Hare Krishna, then you can never be purified. You become more sinful. So this method of institutionalized confession, it's actually encouraging people to sin, making them think that they become free from the reaction. It's not encouraging purity. It's not encouraging what Jesus taught us. It's encouraging the opposite. Taking Jesus as an excuse to sin. If it's bad, then we should learn the process to, uh, to get free from that. that. That is a higher religious process that teaches us to become free from sin. Yeah, anything else, please? Yeah. This may be probably inappropriate and I apologize in advance. Uh, why in Mahabharata, again, I'm afraid it's an blind question, why in Mahabharata did uh, uh, Krishna say the entire Bhagavad Gita to Arjun and not his other brother, Dharmaraj, who probably might have understood the Dharma better than him? <laughs> oh, well, that, that's a very good question. Why did Krishna speak Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna and not to Yudhishthira, who might have understood Dharma better? He's known as Dharmaraj. Well, at least superficially, Dharma Raj or, the, or Dharma Putra Yudhishthira, he had problems understanding Dharma. We find in Mahabharata, although he's known to be very much up on Dharma, that we find that when... Uh, it's a long story. Well, I can say it. I, I told it so many times, I can tell it again. Before the battle... Was it after the Bhagavad Gita was spoken, Yudhishthira Maharaj went for blessings to all the gurus. And they all said, it's very good you came for blessings. If you hadn't come for blessings, you would have certainly been destroyed. Because without guru's blessings, you can't do anything. So he took the blessings. So he asked them one by one, after taking their blessings, how can, please tell us the method by which we can kill you. Because that's what we're doing. We come here on the battle to fight with you. So Dronacharya said that, well, I can only be killed if... My son Ashvatthama is killed and out of disappointment I lose all spirit to fight. Otherwise I can't be killed. So when he came to Ashvatthama, he offered obeisances, asked for blessings, said, how can I kill you? And Ashvatthama said, you can't. I'm not going to be killed. When this battle's over, I'm going to be alive. So during the 
what's called the Drona Pava now, it wasn't called that at the time of fighting. Drona was fighting so terribly that it seemed that all the Kaurava, all the Pandava forces were going to be destroyed. So Krishna thought, we have to kill Drona. Otherwise, the whole thing's finished. So how can we kill him? We can only kill him if Ashvatthama is killed, but he can't be killed. So, Krishna asked Yudhishthira Maharaj that you should call out loudly, Ashvatthama is killed. And then, Yudhishthira said, well, why don't you say Krishna? He said, there's no one who will believe me. <laughs> Krishna is known as a politician. On the whole of our forces, they'll only believe you. And you just say, well, I can't. I never told a lie in my life. That's why you have to say it. <laughs> he didn't want to. So then they made some arrangement. On the Pandava side, there's, there was an elephant called Ashvatthama. They killed it because Yudhishthira didn't agree to do what Krishna said. One extra elephant had to be killed. And then Ashvatthama Hatha. Ashvatthama is killed. And then they arranged that we blow the conches. And while no one can hear... He'll say, Narova Kunjarova. Maybe a human, maybe a, an elephant. <laughs> so, uh, Yudhishthira's chariot used to go above the ground for his piety. After this, it came down. And all the foolish people considered that it came down to the ground because he told a lie. But actually, it came down to the ground because he didn't actually understand the real principle of Dharma, which is to satisfy Krishna. Because he hesitated, he didn't want to follow Krishna's order. Therefore, his chariot had to come down. So, Arjuna, Lord Krishna spoke to, to him. Uh, yes, I'm making the point, Yudhishthira, he had, what is the param dharma? The, the actual crux of dharma is to satisfy Krishna. At least in this instance, it seemed he was uh, not clear on that. He was, this... This demonstrates the principle, that his chariot came down, demonstrates the principle of, of param dharma being to satisfy Krishna, even if one has to lie. That's why I said, even if you have to eat meat, you can do so to preserve the body, if you're going to be Krishna conscious. If you're going to, if you're going to preach Krishna conscious in Russia, you can eat meat, even if you have to do so. So, he, he was apparently bewildered like that. So, ordinary morality or dharma is not actual dharma. Real dharma is to satisfy Krishna. So in Bhagavad Gita itself, Lord Krishna says, Bhaktosi me sakaya, what was that? Saiva yangmaya teja, yoga prokta paratanaha, bhaktosi me sakayati, rahasyang hirtat uttama. Lord Krishna says the very ancient knowledge of yoga. Nowadays people think yoga means just doing exercises, but yoga means a lot more than that. So this Knowledge, this ancient knowledge of yoga, Lord Krishna says, I'm going to speak this to you today, Arjuna, because you are my devotee and my very dear friend. So Yudhishthira is also a great devotee of Krishna, but Arjuna was even more so than Krishna, because very close relationship. They were the same age, Krishna, he would bow down to Yudhishthira. So there was some distance, there was, that Yudhishthira socially was higher than Krishna. Even though Yudhishthira understood he's the Supreme Lord, but in Leela, in social dealings, there was some distance because Krishna respected him as an elder, as a superior. Whereas with Arjuna, it's a very intimate relationship. As Arjuna states that we, we used to lie on the same bed together and I would make jokes at your expense. He's a very close friend, so he can 
enter into this spirit of bhakti, which is the ultimate message of Gita. He can he is more qualified to do so than Yudhishthir. Therefore, Krishna. What you speak of Yudhishthir, even Vyas was present on the planet at the time. Ved Vyas. But he had to write down the Bhagavad Gita or, or dictate it to Ganesh. It wasn't spoken to him. It's spoken to Arjuna. No, he wouldn't have understood it better. Arjun, he was given the Bhagavad Gita. Vyas, he was criticized by Narad Muni that you have compiled so many Vedic literatures and they're all meant for understanding. All the Vedas are meant for understanding Krishna. But he hadn't made, although all the Vedas point toward Krishna, Vyas at that point had not given one literature which clearly delineates that. Therefore, he was chastised. Jugupsitam. He said, what you're writing is just a bunch of terrible garbage. Narad was talking about the Vedas. Because you haven't clearly delineated Krishna as the Supreme Personality of God. Then, after this, Vyasa wrote the Bhagavatam. And then about the Bhagavatam, Lord Shiva later said that, Aham Vedmi Shukho Veti Vyasa Veti Vyasa Veti Na Bhaktya Bhagavata Grahya Na Buddhya Nachatikaya That I understand Bhagavatam, Shukadeva understands Bhagavatam. I, I know what the point is. Vyas, maybe. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, the Bhagavatam is to be understood through bhakti, not simply through buddhi, not through intelligence, nor even by studying many commentaries. Through bhakti can be understood. So Vyas is a great devotee also. He was a channel, the medium by which the the one Ved was divided and presented for people of Kali Yoga. But he's not as... In Rasavicha, which is... Now we are mostly discussing Tattvavicha, philosophical understanding. That is to lead us to Rasavicha, or the... What is Bhakti? Bhakti means ex, uh, experience of Ras in relationship with Krishna, transcendental mellows of affection. So, we should be careful because when it comes to rasa vichar, we might start to think, well, the gopis are the best devotees, so to hell with all the other devotees. We don't need Mother Yashoda. I'm only interested in the, the gopi girlfriends of Krishna. I'm not interested in the cows or anything else, but they're all very dear to Krishna. Vyasa is very dear to Krishna. Yudhishthir is very dear to Krishna. But in Rasavicha, there's also, it's seen that Arjuna is higher than Yudhishthir and Vyas. And Uddhava is higher than all the devotees outside Vrindavan. But even the, even the less known devotees in Vrindavan, are in, in Rasavicha, they're closer to Krishna than Uddhava. Of whom Krishna said that, uh, Navarinchina, no, no, there's one verse which I'm not remembering, although I've said it so many times. Now, 
Natatame Priyatama Atmayone and Ashankaraha Nacha Sankarsharona Shriya Na Naivatma Chayatabhavan Krishna he said to Uddhava that Natachame Priyatama Atmayon Brahma, who is directly born from my own body, my son, he is not as dear to me. Shankara, Lord Shiva, he is not as dear to me. My brother Balaram, he is not as dear to me. Lakshmi, she is not as dear to me. And even I am not as dear to me as you are. So Krishna has great love for Uddhava. But, but Uddhava, his love for Krishna. He was sent by Krishna to Vrindavan to learn what is the love of the Vrajvasis. What is their love for Krishna? That is the actual subject of Srimad Bhagavatam. When we get when we get beyond trying to enjoy this material world and thinking how to love Krishna, then we come to the understanding of bhakti. Who are the greatest devotees, the residents of Vrindavan, among them the gopis, among them Radha. So actually the whole Bhagavatam points to Radha. But we, first of all, have to point our compass away from sense gratification. Anything else? On the lines of bhakti itself, Somewhere I had read in probably a Ramadan was Bhakti the person who started whole or who believes or has a whole movement started was not only himself. And he's got a different place up in heaven. And uh, why if, he, if that is true, why is he why does he say Narayan Narayan and not Krishna Krishna? Well, no one started Bhakti. It, it's not anyone's invention. Nara does say Krishna, Krishna. He also says Narayana, Narayana. Narayana is Krishna. But Krishna is the original form of the personality of Godhead. Narad Muni takes pleasure in remembering and glorifying all the forms of the Lord. So he says Krishna, Krishna. Narad Muni, Bhajai Vina, Radhika Ramana Nam. He chants the name of Radhika Ramana which is Krishna. So, like that. It's not only Narayana, Narayana. In the Hindi movies, he only says Narayana, Narayana. <laughs> but we shouldn't understand bhakti from the Hindi movies. In the movies, they, they, they make Narada out to be some kind of clown. That is offensive, actually. He's a great devotee. Hare Krishna. Any more? Anything else?